When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and welcome back into another episode of THN on the O. As always, I am Tony Ferrari. With me is my beautiful bald co-host, Brock Otten. How are you doing this week, Brock? Good, Tony. How are you doing? Not too bad. Recording a little later in this week, so our three stars got an extra day or two to uh, impress us and figure out who's going to be the, the stars of the week. So who are we going with for the first star this week? Yeah, we went with Sean McGurn of uh, the London Knights. He had five goals, eight assists. 13 points in five games. Really good week. What do you like about his game, Tony? Yeah, he's just a guy that – he's never necessarily the guy that I think is the star. I think that's the big thing with McGurn's game is I, I don't ever expect him to have this week at any point in his career. But anytime you have five goals and 13 points in a week, especially for a London night team that's surging up the standings right now, taking over the top spot in the West from Windsor – it's a good week. I think he's been really energetic. He's a guy that plays hard and maybe doesn't have the pro potential that some people would want, but he's got that OHL star power kind of underneath the surface. So I, I really like the fact that he was able to kind of step up and, and play a big role for London this week. Yeah, and I think if you were to ask a lot of people, they might be surprised that McGurn is actually London's leading scorer this year. He's just the kind of guy that Dale Hunter – always seems to get the best out of, right? He had a really good breakout season last year for the Knights. Is having another really good year. Just a really solid all-around player. Not really any weaknesses to his game. And those are the types of players that Dale Hunter always gets the best out of. And um, probably one of the more underrated players in the OHL. And he had a really good week. Yeah, he certainly did. And our second star of the week is Amadeus Lombardi from the Flint Firebirds. 12 points, 5 goals, 7 assists, and 5 games played. One of the most skilled and fun players to watch in the OHL. What'd you like about his game this week? Yeah, he's just been really good all year long and is really looking like a great pick by the Red Wings after they took him last year. Um, after that breakout season, what was sort of like his first year in, in the OHL, first year playing really high-level hockey, and he's looking like a sort of diamond in the rough for the Red Wings. He, like you said, he's very skilled, very smart, great skater, really good uh, compete level, work ethic, really another guy that doesn't have a weak spot in his game. And he's been the straw that stirs the drink for the Firebirds this year. Yeah. I think we looked at this Firebirds team earlier in the year when they traded off Brennan Othman and we went, who is really going to be able to step up? Is Amadeus Lombardi going to be able to continue his high point totals and continue this pace of play that he was on? And he's certainly done that and maybe even exceeded it a little bit to this point this year. And, like you said, really good pick by the Red Wings. One of the most skilled and crafty players in the OHL. Really fun to watch. Uh, we're going to talk about him a little bit later when we kind of get into our Frankenstein centers. But let's move on to our third star of the week. Zach Bowen, the London Knights goalie. Four straight wins on the week. 923 save percentage and 225 goals against average. Again, like I said, London surging up the standings. Big week for this kid. Yeah, with uh, Brett Brochu out with a lower body injury, he stepped in. He's been incredible this year. He's He's got one loss in regulation so far. Has been really good pretty much any time he's played for, for London as, as a rookie and as a draft-eligible player. 
I really like how he competes. He's just the type of goalie that just never gives up on a play. He's quite athletic. Um, and I think that's going to actually go a long way to impressing NHL scouts. I think that he's definitely working himself into that NHL draft radar. And what's looking like a pretty decent year for goaltenders overall. There's some good high-end talent, looking like there's some good depth. Even in the OHL, there's starting to be some guys that are working their way into that conversation as potential draft candidates. And I think Bowen is one of them. Yeah, like you mentioned, the OHL has a, kind of a sneaky good draft crop this year. One of the other guys in consideration for this week was Windsor goalie Joey Costanzo, another draft-eligible goalie who's not necessarily the biggest player, but he also had four wins on the, on the, on the week. It's one of those situations where you, you're seeing these younger guys get in, these 2005-born goalies, and impress a little bit. And I don't think this was a year we expected to be as good with the goaltending market. But this is a sneaky good, and I think it's a. it doesn't have the Jesper Wallstedt. It doesn't have the Spencer Knight this year. But it's a pretty deep year overall for goalies, I think. And, and you're getting a couple of OHL guys to stand on their head and doing some good work. Yeah, and I think for London, it's incredibly encouraging because Roshu is going to be moving on next year as an OA. And now, with Bowen playing so well, it looks like they've got the sort of heir apparent with Roshu being that guy for – the last several years. Um, and that's really important for the growth of that team moving forward as they look to stay competitive the way that London typically does, right? So what you're saying is London's surprisingly going to be competitive yet again for the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, Tony. You got it. All right, let's move on from a three stars and get to our Frankenstein series where we choose five characteristics from, from five OHLers at a given position to build our kind of Frankenstein perfect OHL player at a given position. We've done defensemen, we've done wingers. Let's get into the centers and I'll, I'll let you kick it off for us. All right, so here are my five characteristics for centers. So I've got the skating ability of Amadeus Lombardi. We just talked about him. I've got the shot of Shane Wright. I've got the work rate of Tucker Robertson. The vision IQ of Logan Morrison and the skill creativity of David Goyette. So here's sort of my thinking with Lombardi. Here's a guy who consistently can play or does play at a high pace with the way that he skates um, really quick north south, really good on his edges. Just a very elusive player. Uh, one of the higher end skaters in the OHL, in my opinion. And he's the type of player that. Um, you know, that skating ability is going to progress well to the next level as well. Uh, I, I thought about Owen Beck. I thought about David Goliath, two other guys who I think skate incredibly well from the center position. But I went with Lombardi. Just um, I just feel like maybe he's just that slightly more dynamic than those two. Uh, then shot of Shane Wright. Great release. Great shooting mechanics. Very deceptive. Just a really good shooter and somebody who's going to shoot and score at the NHL level, in my opinion, too. Then we've got work rate of Tucker Robertson. We're going to talk later about Peterborough and their struggles uh, continue to be inconsistent. But the one guy who I think has just consistently been good for them, especially since he went through like a bit of a lull, I feel like in the mid part, or not the mid part, but like the beginning of the mid part of the year when just as the World Junior roster was kind of, or the camp was just starting to be named, uh, Tucker Robertson went through that small lull, but since then, he's just been so consistent. When you watch Peterborough play, like sometimes I'm kind of disappointed with Othman and, and Beck and some of the other guys on that team, but I've just never been really disappointed with Robertson. That compete level, that work rate is consistently high, and it feels like whatever wingers they pair with Robertson, that's always the best line for Peterborough, and they just haven't been able to get the secondary scoring that they kind of had hoped for. 
Then vision IQ of Logan Morrison, just one of the smartest players in the OHL. If, if he could skate at an above average level, we'd be talking about a high end NHL prospect. I mean, obviously that's, that's his biggest weakness and it's why he wasn't drafted last year, even though I, I think you and I both expected him to be. And a lot of people did. Um, I still think there's a good chance that he gets an NHL contract if he plays well in the playoffs this year uh, for Ottawa. That's going to be big for him. But just a just uh, Logan Morrison rarely makes a poor play. Rarely makes a poor read. Strong at both ends. Strong playmaker. Great IQ. And then last one, David Goyette, skill and creativity. His ability to blend his speed and his uh, puck control is among the best in the OHL. And he's the type of guy that I think really rounds out that group of five to make it a, a really, really dynamic Frankenstein center. Who are your five, Tony? Well, mine, we went, I went with most of the same kind of categories. There was one that was a little bit off, and I, it probably really relates down to the same thing. But mobility, skating ability, I went with Michael Misa, one of the most exciting young players in the game in the OHL this year. I think I'm cheating a little bit because I'm projecting his development the next couple of years as well. But Michael Meese is one of the most electrifying guys. I, I think back to uh, seeing him live a few weeks back and him twisting and turning and making a few Windsor defenders fall on their butts and making them look silly at times. And then I go, I go with the playmaking of David Goya. You used him for your skating or for his creativity. And I think the playmaking is where I find his, his creativity really comes out. One of the best passers and playmakers in the OHL. It's really fun to watch his game. Shooting town, it, it, because this is just the shooting town, I went with Francesco Pinelli, a guy that maybe struggles at times in terms of mobility, even though we've both mentioned that we've seen that come a ways this year. But th his shot is un unreal. I think he, he'd be a guy that if he was a little bit faster, played at a little bit higher pace, he would be a guy that could really challenge for the OHL scoring lead as a goal scorer because that shot comes off his stick. It just pops. And he's got the ability to kind of uh, hide it, use the toe drag. It, it's really fun to watch this guy shoot the puck. Uh, defensive acumen, I went with Shane Wright, but in brackets I put Owen Beck because Shane Wright's played seven or eight games in the OHL so far this year because he was in the NHL for a bit, went to the World Juniors, and now he's hurt. He's been hurt with Windsor for recently. So I think either him or Owen Beck, they both play really responsible, smart two-way games. I think understanding where to be in the defensive zone is such a key trait for a center, and, and it kind of works off that work rate that you use with Tucker Robertson. You need to kind of know where to be to get the puck up ice and start the transition of game and everything like that. And at, at, the, at the center position, it's so important. And then for puck skills and creativity, I went with our boy Amadeus Lombardi. We talked about it already. This is one of the funnest players to watch in the OHL. He's the ability to pull off the Michigan move or dangle two defenders with a couple different moves in the offensive zone. He's so good in the transition game. He's a really, really fun player to watch. You kind of give him that that ability to kind of play the two-way game of Owen Becker or, or, or Shane Wright, the shot of a Francesco Pinelli. And, I mean, his shot isn't that bad as it is. And then top it off with the playmaking and skill and creativity of Michael Misa and the mobility of, or, or of a David Goyette and the mobility of a Michael Misa. You were really fun, intriguing OHL of that. Yeah, and I mean, this is the third part of this series. It's going to be really interesting to see what people say and people think. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments when, when this gets posted. Uh, we did the poll, and the defenseman was split right down the middle. Uh, Tony took the lead on, on the wingers there. Um, so let's see if I can take this one uh, with the pivots. 
Yeah, it's a fun group. And we we definitely chose some of the same categories, which is really interesting. And we even had a few players that crossed over. But I think it just shows the depth of the center position of the OHL that we're able to kind of use the same guy for different categories because there's a lot of exciting young centers in the OHL right now. Yeah, and I think it shows how well-rounded some of these players' games are, right? We could have used Shane Wright in a variety of categories. We could have used Amadeus Lombardi, David Goyette. Um, we barely even touched on one back, either of us. We could have used him for his face-off ability, Tucker Robertson for his face-off ability, um, Logan Morrison, another one, right? Some of the better face-off men in, in the OHL, and that's obviously a key trait of, of a top-end centerman as well. And we didn't touch on any draft eligibles. We went with my, I went with Michael Misa projecting a little bit, but there is a lot of center depth and a lot of fun centers in the OHL going forward. But let's move on to the, the news of the week. The Kitchener Rangers finally fired Chris Dennis. I think it's been a move that we've been expecting for a little while now. Um, Mike McKenzie's taking over behind the bench, a move that we've seen happen before in Kitchener. What, did, what was kind of your first reaction to this aside from finally? Yeah, honestly, that was it. It was, okay, now let's see what happens, right? Is this what's going to light a fire under this group? And early results have been pretty decent. They, they had a good first few games under McKenzie, and obviously he's been behind the bench before, so this is nothing new uh, for him. I don't think it's a long-term fix. He's even said so. Um, they're going to look for a new coach this offseason, it sounds like. And But till the end of the year, it's Mike McKenzie's show, and I think – he knows what he's doing, and I think the early returns have been great, and I think this is the kick in the butt that this team needs to be more consistent because they obviously have the talent on the ice. We've we've talked about that at length, um, but it's now it, – it, they need to show it, right? I still think that they have a really good chance of finishing sixth in the Western Conference, which maybe gets them a date with somebody like Sarnia in the first round, which I think would be a really good opening round matchup. Yeah, I think the big thing with, with Kitchener right now is you look at the, the their position in the playoff picture, like you said, they can get up to sixth and, and kind of maybe get there and and avoid that those two big boys at the top in London and Windsor. But it's going to be interesting because this could be a team that, start, that finishes strong Then no one wants to play in the first round of the playoffs. I think back a few years and you, you see a couple of teams, I remember uh, Windsor a few years back, they were a seventh or, eight, or a sixth or seventh seed going into the playoffs and upset in the first round, uh, the second or third seed. You have that happen every once in a while with these teams that get hot and get going. Could Kitchener be that team this year if Mike McKenzie can kind of right the ship? Because like we've mentioned it before, this team has a ton of NHL prospects, a ton of legit projectable talent to the next level. It's going to be about meshing and figuring out where the mix is and, and whether they can get the, these lines right and get the chemistry built up. But Mike McKenzie's been behind the bench before, like you said. This isn't a new thing. This isn't a guy coming in fresh who who either doesn't know these players or doesn't know the system or doesn't know how to kind of coach. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Mike McKenzie does with this team. Yeah, absolutely. And another would, thing would be uh, goaltending, right? Can Costantini really step up his game and, and be a little bit more consistent in that too? Speaking of net, there was an incident in the Mississauga net this past week as well. Sudbury Ford, Ethan Lamont, Larmond was suspended six games for an elbow up high Mississauga goaltender, Alessio Beglieri, or Beglieri. And it was a weird incident because watching the play, he's just kind of going across the net, chasing the, the puck carry who was behind the net. He's going across the face of the goalie. And for whatever reason, he decides to put that elbow up high. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what was going through his head. 
but this is certainly worthy of a suspension. Do you think, think six games was enough, too much, too little? What was your first thoughts? Yeah, I think that was about right. I was kind of expecting somewhere between like five, seven, five, and eight, so somewhere around that range. It's a pretty significant chunk of time for him to miss. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I really don't know what he was thinking. Um, you know, maybe something happened earlier in the game where Beglieri said something and it caused Larmont to have that sort of reaction. Um, I mean, my other immediate reaction was, it seems like somebody from Sudbury is getting suspended like every week. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I've kind of noticed that. Like they've just been piling up the suspensions the last couple months. And I don't know if that's, is that a coaching thing? Like this team just needs to be a little bit more disciplined, right? Like they're a young team. They have some talent, um, but they've got to stay out of the, uh, the suspension list. Yeah, it's been really weird. Since the coaching change, they've had a lot of upturn in their play. They've been much better since early in the year. But like you said, that suspension keeps coming around. I don't know what's going on with this team. It was a goofy play. I don't know what, what he was thinking. At the end of the day, like you said, six games was probably about where we expected it to go. It was a weird one, though. Like you said, they need to keep out of the, the suspension, keep out of the box, be a little bit more disciplined, because this is a, a sneaky good team, I think, going forward for the rest of the year. Yeah, I agree. Um, spunky, I think, is a, is a good word to, to describe them, right? They're a younger team. They're trying to gain some playoff experience. They're trying to push to, to get as high as they can in the Eastern Conference standings. They're playing well. They've got a, a lot of speed and a lot of talent uh, up front. And, you know, maybe they catch somebody by surprise in, in round one, somebody who's sleeping. And either way, it's going to be a good experience for that young group. But Part of that is learning to be more disciplined as well, right? Yeah, it, it certainly is. And I think the next thing we should talk about is the Peterborough Peets, who made a big trade with Mississauga earlier in the year and since then have fallen behind them. Hamilton and Kingston are right behind them as well. What is going on right now in the Eastern Conference with the Peterborough Peets? Uh, look, I don't know, Tony. It, you watch them play and it just seems like they're missing a spark. Uh, Owen Beck is, is well under a point per game since going to the Peets. Uh, Othman and Avery Hayes has, or both of their production has decreased significantly since going to Peterborough. They just don't seem to have great chemistry. We talked about how Tucker Robertson seems to be the one guy that's the consistent driving force and whoever he plays with plays well. But outside of that, they can't seem to find something that works. And is that on the coaching staff? Maybe. Um, the fact that the team is the most undisciplined team in the OHL. Like they can't stay to the box. That's hurting them big time. And does that fall on the coaching staff too? Uh, I don't know. Uh, this team is too good to be performing at the level that they are. And at what point do, does Peterborough management say like, look, like we have to make a change. Like I was kind of shocked after this past weekend that they did. I honestly, like we talked about, was it over under, was that two or three weeks ago where we both took yeah. the under on Wilson being replaced. And now we just had another disappointing weekend where Mississauga has passed them. Hamilton and Kingston are right on their tail. Hamilton and Mississauga, the two teams they made huge trades with. And guess who's driving the bus for their resurgence? Well, yeah, Nick Lardis, Sahil Panwar. Like two guys you gave up are now driving the bus in Hamilton as they approach passing you, right? And from an organizational standpoint, that's that's not a great look. 
No, I just pulled up the OHL standings here right now, and Hamilton's just three points back with the game at hand. The big difference, the big thing that I, I noticed, though, is immediately Peterborough's three and seven in their last ten, Hamilton six and four. Peterborough's the coldest team in the Eastern Conference, aside from Niagara, who's their own dumpster fire of, of a mess. But outside, outside of that, it's them and Sudbury who have really kind of been the coldest teams. And even Sudbury's been able to find ways to pick up points in overtime in the shootout. Peterborough's just not doing that. They're they're losing in regulation. They're losing valuable points. They're falling down the standings. It's really going to be interesting to see what happens the rest of the way because, like you said, we both took the under. We both thought the coach was going to be changed by at this point. Are they getting to a point where, like Kitchener, is it going to be too late now? Are we at a point now if they wait one week, two more weeks, is it too late? Is it going to be a all for naught? It's really going to be interesting to see kind of what Peterborough does down the stretch here. If you're going to pull the trigger on a coaching change, you have to do it ASAP. You can't, you can't wait, right? Like what's the point of, of, I, I know we've seen it. We've seen teams, not just at the OHL level, we've seen it at the professional level, you know, pull the trigger on a coaching change, like right before the playoffs, like it's suddenly going to change something. Well, you're just not giving that team enough, enough time to respond to the coaching change. Right. Um, if you're going to make that change, it has to be done now. And I, Maybe that means they're not going to do it and they're just kind of writing this out and, and saying like, you know, they have a lot of trust in, in Wilson as a coach, but I, I don't know, Tony, uh, I'm, I don't have an explanation anymore for, for the Pete's. And honestly, there really isn't one. It, it's a, an interesting situation to keep an eye on, but let's move on and get to brighter, brighter, funner things to talk about and get to our 2023 draft profile for the week. We're going to be talking about Bo Aki, Barry's defenseman this this week. He's ranked in the around about between 40 and 55 on most lists this year. He's got 37 points, eight goals, 29 assists on the season, 31 penalty minutes. He's a really fun player to watch, and I think a lot of his game is predicated on that insane skating ability. So talk about what you liked about him so far this year. Yeah, I really like Aki's upside. I, honestly, I think that's the biggest draw for me is I don't think he – fully understands how good he can be. Um, when you watch Barry play, and, and especially now that, that Brent Clark's back, right? You know, he, he might have one or two sort of impressive rushes or uh, impressive escapes where he uses his feet a game. But there are other instances where it seems like he's kind of holding back. Like there's a lane, there's, there's, there's something that he can exploit, but instead he'll chip out or he'll defer or, you know, he'll make a really safe play which is not the end of the world. You have to pick and choose your battles, right? You, very few players excel just constantly with their foot on the gas pedal, right? But I feel like Aki is somebody that, as he gains experience at this level, he's going to really become a massive offensive threat. I think he's highly skilled, and I think that mobility is going to really play. And I think that he's only sort of scratching the surface. I think that he's a smart defensive player too, and I think that mobility can play – in his own end as well. I think the key is getting stronger and becoming a little bit more physically intense. I, I think that there are instances where we see that. Um, then there's other instances where he's just too passive. His gap control um, isn't great. Or despite being such a good skater, is kind of sloppy. Um, there's a lot to work on the defensive end in terms of consistency. But this is a, a defender with a lot of upside, in my opinion. I think when I watch Boyke's game, the biggest thing I notice is 
this is a kid who could be really, really good. Honestly, could be a top 20 level talent in this draft class. But I think the one thing he lacks outside of some of like the f- defensive refinement that you mentioned is that killer instinct. I look at a, goal, a guy in the WHL and Tanner Molendek who has a lot of the same skills, has a lot of the same abilities, a really high-end skater, does a really good job defending with his stick and st- in, in mobility and space, kind of understands how to play the game in terms of just making that next smart play, advancing to the next spot. But he isn't able to really create the the huge scoring chance, to create the the dangerous offensive play with with consistency. And I think it's just that lack of I don't know if it's confidence or or, or the killer instinct that I mentioned. But Boeke is always right there. He's about to do it, and then he just makes the safe play. I look at a guy like Boeke, and I go, he's not necessarily going to hurt you offensively at all. He's certainly not going to do that. He's a quite a good offensive producer. Like I said, it's 39 points in 45 games. But he's not a guy that's going to do a whole lot more than advance the play to the next step. I think that the next step for him in his career and in his development is finding a way to not only advance to the next step, but create the chance. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him. I think getting a guy like Clark in the system where you can kind of work off him and learn from him a little bit, see what he's doing a little bit more dangerously when he doesn't have the skating ability that a guy like Bowie, he has quite honestly, it, I think seeing that and being able to kind of develop that could lead to this guy having a big pop in his D plus one season next year and if he does get drafted in that 40 to 55, maybe even 60 range in the second round, there could be a team that's really, really benefiting from a guy who's not an undersized defender by any means. He's six foot, 180, 180, if I'm not mistaken. This is a kid who could be, like you said, a really high, high upside pick. And, and could be one of these guys that while we look in, the, in this draft, we don't see a ton of top pair defenders. This could be one of the better top four defenders in the draft class. Yeah, I think those are really good points, Tony. I, I really do. And I think that there's a wide range of outcomes here. Um, the, a few guys kind of come to mind from, from the OHL in recent years. Victor Mente is one where he learned to weaponize his mobility to be a strong offensive player, um, got better defensively, but that's kind of what's held him back at the NHL level is that lack of sort of defensive IQ and understanding. I think it came a long way as an OHL player. It just never really came far enough for him to, to be a high end NHL player. And then you've got guys like, say, Vince Dunn and TJ Brody, who had similar kind of skill sets as Aki when they were draft eligible. Um, but their game just evolved and in so many different ways uh, before they graduated. And now both of them have had very successful NHL careers. And that's going to be the key for him is uh, I think of a guy like Dunn specifically who really turned up the dial from a physical standpoint as he gained experience at the OHL level. And that was sort of the key for his easy transition to the NHL level. And uh, that honestly, I think that's going to be the biggest thing is, is that killer instinct at both ends. Totally right. Tony. Yeah. And developing physically, we all, we also have to remember, this is a guy who literally turned 18, four or five days ago, February 11th. This is a guy that isn't one of these huge six foot five defenders. He's a six foot guy. He's still filling out this frame. He's still getting stronger. He's going to be a really interesting prospect to, to look at in the draft this year. Where do you kind of have him on your board? And where the other question I had is where do you have him among OHL defensemen? I know we've talked before about him being our top rated OHL defender, but is he still there on your board? 
Yeah, Oliver Bonk is pushing hard for me. I, I know you're not as high on Bonk, but uh, every time I see London play, I just become more impressed with him. And I, and I just see such an easy transition to the NHL level for Bonk. I'm still trying to figure out what I feel that high-end upside is, but um, I, I really like the floor at the very least. Um, but I like Aki's potential the most. I think those two would probably be one-two for me um, among OHL defenders. And then Aki, I, I would kind of have him slotted in that second round range, you know, somewhere between like 35 and 50, probably. I don't think he's pushed into that first round range yet. I, I still want to see a little bit more from him, but I, I think that the upside is too high to pass on to let him fall to that top 50. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think he's still a guy in my opinion, that is a top 50 prospect. He's kind of in that 45 to 50 range for me at the moment. And yeah, he still does have the top spot of, of, on my board among OHL defenders, Bonk, Cam Allen, Hunter Brushevich, like there's other guys there. He's certainly not separated himself in some sort of like big gap or chasm in my, on my board, but he's still got the top spot among OHL defenders. And he's such a fun player. And like you said, that upside is really, really intriguing. Almost too much to pass up in the second round. Yeah. And especially in a year where, I mean, we talked about this previously, there isn't a defender that I think is a slam dunk to be, a top three guy. I think we're looking at uh, a glut of defenders that probably have similar upsides. And it's just a matter of picking that right one who's going to explode. And in terms of high end upside, high end potential, Aki's right up there with, with among the best in this draft class, in my opinion. All right. Now let's move on to the team of the week. This week, we've got the Vegas Golden Knights and their prospect pool in the OHL. Let's start with their surefire, definitely going to be an NHL player, Prospect, defenseman Arthur Kolick from the Barry Colts, 2021 sixth-round pick, 190th overall. He's got three goals in 11 assists in 42 games, 14 penalty minutes. He's playing a depth role. He's not really a guy that's realistically going to be a surefire NHLer. But what have you liked about his game so far, and, and what do you think his, his pro path is? Yeah, actually, I kind of like Cholach. Uh, I think that there there is definitely a path to him being an NHL player. I don't think it's going to be high up in the lineup. But I think he's one of the better defensive defenders in the OHL. The offensive game hasn't really come around it, you know, since joining the league, since joining Barry. But I think that his defensive IQ, his physical intensity, his four-way mobility, um, his, he's got a great stick, good gap control. I think all of it is, is great. And he was rated as one of the best – defensive defenders and last year uh last year's ohl coaches poll and i think that he's probably going to repeat there this year uh, he's somebody that barry can pair you know with brant clark with bo Aiki, and let them sort of do their thing while he secures his own end and um again not significant upside but not every player has to have that sort of top four potential i think that vegas could have somebody who can play a, a penalty killing bottom six role for you know an extended period of time in their lineup yeah i look at Chilich's game and i i, I always go back to the, something someone told an nhl scout told me a few years ago and that's if an nhl and if an ohl or junior age player can't score at that level it's going to be really hard for them to be functional at the next level and i think while points are certainly not everything and in the defensive game like you said is refined it's one of the better defensive games among blue liners in the ohl there does need to be that kind of base level of ability with the puck on your stick because you can't have a guy that's 
throwing grenades at the NHL level. And while I don't think Chilich is a guy that's completely incapable of the puck on his stick, he certainly hasn't shown to be able to excel. And I think that's always kind of a worry for me is while I don't project, I don't, I, there's no world where I'm projecting to be an offensive guy. You still need to have that translatable skill offensively with the puck on your stick to be able to kind of move the puck out of your own zone. Because while it may not be in the offensive zone that I'm looking for him to do it at the next level, you kind of want to see him be able to do that at the junior level, especially now that he's a little bit older for the league. He's not a guy that's 17, 18 anymore. He's going to kind of need to come a ways with that. His path is on the longer side, in my opinion, but he does, like you said, have a little bit of an NHL future possibly as a penalty killer, as a bottom of the lineup guy, because that defensive game is really refined. He understands where to be, how to be, and he understands how to play with a guy that is going to be a little bit more free range, a little bit more doing his own thing offensively and, and kind of be able to do that. So you need the safe guys at the NHL level, whether Cholich is a guy that gets to the NHL level and does that, or he's a, an AHLer that has a good long career playing pro hockey like that or goes back to Europe and does the same thing there, there's going to be a, a role for him in a pro lineup somewhere. I just don't know what pro lineup that's going to be. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a really good point, Tony. I mean, when we look at some of these guys who move from the CHL and end up as more of stay-at-home shutdown types, you go back and you look at their stats – a guy like Logan Stanley comes to mind, right? Uh, you're very familiar with him, uh, with his time in Windsor. And he had progressed to being a, a very good offensive defender in the OHL. And now he's settled into a, a, certainly a much different role at the NHL level. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a great point. You, you have to be able to take care of the puck to even be a strong defensive presence because players are too quick. The game moves too fast. Um, you have to be able to make an outlet. You have to be able to escape, you know, a first four checker. You have to be able to escape that F1 somehow. And, and just simply chipping pucks out doesn't advance play enough for your team. And you're just always going to be fighting it in your own end. Now let's move on to a prospect that I think both of us are a little bit more high on. That's center Arthur, or Mateus Sap, Sapovalov, Saginaw Spirit, second round pick in 2022. 48th overall, he's got 16 goals and 23 assists in 39 for 39 points in 49 games played, 20 point penalty minutes and a plus five on the year. This is one of the premier penalty killers, in my opinion, in the OHL. Really good defensive forward. I almost used him in my Frankenstein poll because this is a guy that I've loved watching over the last couple of years. And we've seen him at international events play really, really well and kind of filling up that in the top of the lineup in that offensive role. But he's a guy that also has the defensive game on the lockdown as a center. Is his upside all that high? Probably not. But does he have an NHL future? I think he might. Yeah, I think people are going to look at the stats and, and wonder sort of what's going on because from an, a strictly stat-watching point of view, he's kind of stagnated, right? But you have to look at sort of what's happened in Saginaw. I think since coming back from the World Juniors after they made those trades, moving out Minchikov, um, it's it's hurt them. They've fallen in the standings. Sapovalov, I think, is on, at about like 0.5 or 0.6 points per game since returning from the World Juniors. Uh, the team as a whole has struggled. Um, but I don't think that should make Vegas fans sour on his potential as an NHL player. I think, like you said, Tony, there there are multiple paths to the NHL for, for Sapovalov. I think that he brings a, a very well-rounded skill set. I think the key is sort of twofold. I would say 
one, continuing to improve his overall mobility, that agility. I think that he moves okay linearly. He's got sort of like these big, long, somewhat awkward, awkward strides, but they do get him to where he needs to get. It's more so, you know, moving east-west and, and having a little bit more fluidity to his movements and just sort of that, for lack of a better term, like weave agility, right? Being able to stop, start, turn on a dime um, to avoid pressure. I think that's going to be key for him. And then also just strength on the puck. He's, he's still a pretty lanky guy. Um, he's got a great stick in the defensive end, but I think he would be even better defensively if he was just that little bit more um, physical and a little bit stronger. And I think that would play well in the offensive end too, where he could find his way to the net, have a little bit more success in the corners. He's pretty strong on the puck, but when it comes to winning those sort of 50-50 battles and, and being a four checker, I think there's still more potential for him. And I think, Next year will be big for him. I think that uh, Saginaw obviously is pushing to host the Memorial Cup. I would assume that he's back again and doesn't return to Europe. Um, uh, that would be huge for his development to, to play another year in the OHL. And I think that he's going to have a great year next year. And I think that pan fans in, in Vegas just need to be patient with him. Yeah, he's the guy, like I said, I've, I've really liked watching his development path. I liked, I've liked him... The last couple of years, like you mentioned, the skating has kind of always been the big knock on his game. He's got really good hands around the net. Like you said, he's good at holding on to the puck and kind of pulling it in and out of traffic. He's got some underrated skill. Um, I've seen him try a, a between the legs goal a few times. I think he scored one last year. He's got some of that skill that translates to the next level, I think. The big thing, like you said, is getting a little bit quicker on his edges, getting the, that little agility, that small ice game a little bit more refined. But I think this is a guy that, like you said, has the good defensive stick, understands where to be. He uses his brain to kind of mitigate for that some of that skating uh, deficiency. And I think this is a guy that could make it to the next level. He's going to be a, a few years. I think, like you mentioned, the strength overall is going to need to build up. He's six foot three, 180 pounds or something like that. So he's certainly a lankier guy. I think going to the AHL for a couple of years after next year, like you said, back in the OHL, hopefully, I think for Saginaw. Going to the AHL, building that muscle, working on his pro game, something someone told me a few years ago was the AHL is a more physical league than the NHL, and I think both of us watching it over time, we've kind of realized that. It's good for developing players physically and seeing where they can kind of work their skill out to. So I think that would be a perfect path for Sapovalov. Is he a 23-year-old that breaks into the NHL, plays in the bottom six of the Vegas Golden Knights, and kind of fills in one of those cheaper roles as they have some of the higher con higher number contracts up at the top of the lineup. It kind of fits in and, and plays a bit role, whether he plays at center, whether he goes onto the wing and does a bit of penalty killing for them as well. I think that could be the role that this kid plays at the next level, because I think he has a lot of pro tools. It's just that skating that needs to come a, a little bit of a ways, but man, this kid's smart, good hands around the net, good defensive stick. I think there's a lot to like about him. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think Vegas has done a really good job of being patient with their prospects too. Um, you know, we're seeing some guys even, even this year, like like Paul Cotter, right? Who's who's finally playing, he's a former OHL player, who's finally playing a role for for Vegas and, and playing pretty well. And um, I, I think they are going to have to be very patient with him as he develops. But there's definitely a path for him to be a really solid third liner, in, in my opinion. All right, Brock, that rocks, wraps up our episode for the week. We do want to mention that we are on Spotify under our own feed. Now you can search the Hockey News on the O podcast. It should be there. 
a nice new design, a great little uh, thumbnail for, for every listener that wants to listen. Be sure to follow, rate, subscribe, review, all of that on every podcast platform that you use, whether it's Apple Music, Spotify, whatever it may be. Uh, you can follow myself on Twitter, the Tony Ferrar. You can follow Brock at Brock Otten. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week.